0: Online at KFUO.org. Good afternoon and
1: welcome back to Concord Matters, where indeed Concord, that is unity in the Christian faith, matters to Jesus, it matters to St. Paul, and it matters to you. And to me today we have with us a complement of Christ confessing Concordians, uh, including Mr. Pete Peter Slayton, the director of social media for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and also Pastor Timothy Apple from Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, and myself, Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt in Illinois. And as we are here today, we have the privilege of starting a new article on church authority. That would be the apostles of the Augsburg Confession, Article 28. But before we get started, today on Concord Matters, we have a live call-in show. You are more than welcome, in fact encouraged, to call us at 1-800-730-2727. One more time, that's 1-800-730-2727. Or you can send us an email at kfuo at KFUO.org, or you can find us on all of those social media accounts like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, at KFUO Radio. And so, with that, Pastor Apple, it's great to have you with us today.
2: Good afternoon. Good to be here.
1: Excellent, and Mr. Slayton, it's great to have you here with us today too. It's good to be promoted to director today. That's awesome. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I love
3: it when. No, don't be sorry. Okay. I'm hoping that one of these days it'll stick because people keep doing that, and and one of these days it's like, okay, it's out there. I have to get promoted now, right? So isn't that how that works? Wh- what it, What is your title here? Oh, manager. Social media manager. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but I like being director. That's cool.
1: All right. Well, we'll yeah. keep playing with titles as we go. Uh, <laughs> and see what
3: sticks in the end. We're talking about in authority. Gate. Do you have the authority to do that, Pastor uh, Ill?
1: I don't have the authority. Ah. Uh, my uh, my pastoral role does not give me the authority to promote you, demote you, or do just about anything else. But that is exactly what we get to talk about today. Uh, Pastor Apple, do you... Could you give us just a maybe a one minute snapshot of where this article is coming from and and why it matters to the church today?
2: Sure. Yeah, that that word authority for us, we hear it and uh we, we get a picture in our minds, well, what kind of authority are we talking about? And I think that's the first thing we need to, to determine when we go into this. And, and the authority that we're talking about is very clearly laid out in, in the Augsburg Confession, Article 28 of that document, that states that the authority that belongs to the church properly and the authority that belongs to the bishops properly is the authority to forgive sins, the authority to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, um, to do those things that that Christ specifically gave uh, to his church uh, when he sent them out into the world with his word. And so I think that's a good place for us to start is to make sure we know the authority that we're talking about is that which Christ has given his church on earth um, in terms of forgiving sins and in preaching his word and administering his sacraments.
1: Excellent. And so, with that said, I think we might just jump into the text and start uh, reading at uh, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession uh, at paragraph 1. That's going to be Article 28. I apologize for having everything (laughs) out of order here. Uh, And if you get to be following along in the second edition of the Concordia uh, Reader's Edition published by Concordia Publishing House. That's on page 247. Mr. Slayton, would you enjoy reading for us a little bit?
3: I would enjoy reading for us. Fabulous. Okay. The adversaries cry out violently here about the privileges and immunities of the church estate, and they add these concluding remarks, "...all things are vain which are stated in the present article against the immunity of the church and priests." This is mere trickery, for we have argued about other things in this article. Besides, we have testified frequently that we do not find fault with political ordinances and the gifts and privileges granted by princes. If only the adversaries would hear, on the other hand, the complaints of the churches and of godly minds. The adversaries courageously guard their own dignities and wealth. Meanwhile... They neglect the condition of the churches. They do not care that the churches are rightly taught and that the sacraments are duly administered. They let all kinds of men into the priesthood without proper selection. Afterward, they impose intolerable burdens as though they delighted in the destruction of their fellows. They demand that their traditions be observed far more accurately than the gospel. In the most important and difficult controversies in which people urgently desire instruction so that they can with certainty follow something, the adversaries do not relieve minds tortured with doubt. Rather, they only call people to arms. Besides, in matters against clear truth, they present decrees written in blood which threaten horrible punishments against people unless they clearly act against God's command. On the other hand, you should see the tears of the poor and hear the pitiful complaints of many good people. God undoubtedly considers and regards them, and one day you will give an account of your stewardship.
1: That's excellent. And as we get into this conversation about power and authority, I think it can be helpful for us to remember that within the medieval church, there was a uh, a blending of political, and churchly authority. And the church, as an institution, had taken on quite a bit of authority not only for uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, for loving the neighbor, for forgiving sins, and for providing the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, but also uh, in owning real estate uh, to the point where in the Crusades, uh, wars would be uh, begun uh, by not by kings but by popes and bishops and in many different ways authority was being used not just for the sake of the gospel of jesus but for the use of of earthly authority and power Uh, pastor apple do you have any thoughts on on how that power gets used within or was being used within the church of of luther and melanchthon's day
2: yeah, I think it's important to keep it in that in that context because it is a, a different sort of, of world that they lived in when it came to the interaction between, as, as we would call it, the church and the the state. That um, in in the world of the confessors, those two were were much more intermingled um, than they are today, and and I think that's part of the reason why you you see the confessors, um, especially in the Augsburg Confession, and it, it bleeds over here into the apology as well that they go to to great lengths to make sure that that we keep those two things um, distinct from one another so we don't confuse them. Um, And and to keep them distinct isn't to say that one is is necessarily better than the other. You know, what God does through uh, the human government is a good thing, and it is his work that he is doing. And what God is doing in his church in forgiving sins and, and administering the sacraments and preaching the word, that too is a good thing. They serve different purposes, though, and, and so we need to, to keep them um, distinct from one another in our minds so that what was going on in, in Melanchthon and Luther's day here in terms of the abuses doesn't come about, that that the bishops now think that that their primary role is to administer these various traditions and administer these, these laws and gain property for the church, rather than, as Melanchthon points out— um, you know, their primary duty. And that's what they were neglecting. They were neglecting the care of souls. Um, they weren't making sure the gospel was preached to them to comfort them in their, in their times of, of trouble and need. They weren't making sure that they were um, receiving the sacraments in faith. They were much more concerned about these human traditions. Um, and a lot of that had stemmed from this confusion of, of what truly belonged to the church, um, and, and the rightful authority that the church has, uh, according to the gospel.
3: And, um, uh- at, you can, you guys can correct my my history here. But as as we're talking about this, as I'm reading this, what comes to mind as as specific examples of how this would work itself out as an abuse would be kind of like treating your your bishops or your priests or those different positions almost as equivalent to a to a duke or an earl or or different positions like that, where you would be appointed to that position and then you would be ruling over land, maybe even a city, um, large, larger areas, and you're actually, as a bishop, would be using your authority as a bishop to administer the laws of that land as the ruler of that land, um, which is kind of confusing, at least on the American side of the ocean here, because our it would be like Pastor Ill saying, okay, Pastor Ill, when you became pastor of Trinity Millstot Uh, You also became the ruler of that immediate area, and you were in charge of providing for, administering all the laws and the rules of Milstadt itself, and that's part of your role uh, as pastor. And then over time, you began to see that as your primary, as your only role as pastor. That's what you were supposed to be doing was that. Is that kind of an
1: accurate picture of what we're talking about here in this context? To a point, it is largely accurate. Um, There were, at the same time, churchly leaders who had their their bishoprics, and there were uh, temporal leaders who also had their uh, places, their municipalities, that they would be in charge of of ruling. And theoretically, there was a a give and a take between these. But because, the, uh, in many cases, the church would own... Uh, almost as much property and and have almost uh, or more influence than the secular authorities would. There wasn't so much a give and to take, and it even got to the point that in the the broader structure of the Holy Roman Empire, the it was the the Pope and only the Pope who could crown the Emperor, and you couldn't crown the Emperor if you didn't have the Pope there, and so there was some. Some real political intrigues between the secular authorities, like the emperor and the princes of the uh, several hundred different uh, local territories that made up the Holy Roman Empire, uh, and the church. And in a lot of cases, the churchly authorities had had more influence, more uh, more physical wealth, and more control than the secular authorities did. In part because they they controlled greater areas of, of land. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I, I think um, to,
2: to hopefully maybe clear up some of it, to, I'm, gonna, I'm looking back at the, the Augsburg Confession here. I'm going to read a little bit from it, and I think maybe this will help um, enlighten sort of some of the abuse that was happening. This is um, the Augsburg Confession, Article 28, and I'm, I'm reading paragraphs 12 and, and 13. Um, here, Here we read, Therefore the church's authority and the state's authority must not be confused. The church's authority has its own commission to teach the gospel and to administer the sacraments. Let it not break into the office of another. Let it not transfer the kingdoms of this world to itself. Let it not abolish the laws of civil rulers. Let it not abolish lawful obedience. Let it not interfere with judgments about civil ordinances or contracts. And I, I think the the point that I would make from that is, what what was happening was they were taking like the. The rightful authority of the church, and then using it in a in a coercive way to influence the state. So to to go back to the example you you brought up, it, it would be like in the, in the situation that the pastor Ilder in, in Milstadt, um, you know, had he been given that sort of authority to govern uh, the state there, that he would then say someone um, didn't pay up their contract, he would then excommunicate them from the church for that. And that, I think, is more of the sort of abuses, the mingling of the two powers that, that was happening um, that concerns um, the confessors, is, is that, you know, why, why are you as a, a pastor saying, well, I'm going to excommunicate you for an offense against the law of the state? You're, you're putting that authority in a place where it doesn't belong. Um,
3: does, that, does that make sense? It yeah it does of of course my mind then goes to well there is that sense of somebody willfully breaking a law in an unrepentant sin kind sure, of and way that, so
2: that maybe wasn't exactly the yeah. best example <laughs> yeah but but I mean I or, I, would th-
3: I think there's there's if it's a sense of manipulating that person you know pastor ill using his position to manipulate that person into doing something and holding the gospel over right, them as right. a as a stick kind of way might be a, another way to look at that too
2: right or or refusing maybe refusing baptism to to their children until you pay me a certain amount or buy this property from me or something like that I, I like the buy,
3: buy the
1: property from me that's a good yeah. one yeah yeah
2: <laughs> something to that effect but the the, that whole is a mingling clear of the abuse
3: two. no matter how you look at it right right yeah.
1: i feel like i need to say out loud for just a second i am not now have ever been nor do i desire to be any kind of of authority or or, or anything like that in the wonderful village of millstock i i'm really happy there and i don't <laughs> tend to lord my authority over others it, but it sounds like this conversation is really a certain amount of uh, stay in your lane bishops kind of a talk yeah i think what's helpful
3: what's been helpful for me in in thinking about this question of authority and i'm kind of disappointed that it hasn't come up in this uh reading yet maybe it will later but i i think of matthew 28 and what's commonly known as the great commission as at least a good place to start when we're trying to figure out what authority does the church have? What authorities do pastors have? And there it's where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to to him. So first of all, keeping in mind all of this authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth, that, that encompasses everything. There is absolutely no authority left out of his statement is given to him. And then he tells the first pastors, Here's what I want you to do, because I have this authority I want you to go out and teach. I want you to baptize. I want you to make disciples by doing those two things. And so any authority in the church comes from Christ and it's for the purpose of making disciples. It's it's really that simple and as the even as we've already seen in the the beginning of our reading here, well, that's the one thing they weren't the adversaries were not doing with their authority. They were taking whatever authority they had and kind of doing everything else except the one thing Jesus told them to do.
1: In a few different resources recently, I've seen a wonderful distinction between authority that comes from some kind of an authorizing agent, in this case, Jesus, and power that one would take for oneself. And for the disciples, the apostles, to go because the one who had all authority gave them, by extension, the authority to baptize and to teach, to forgive sins that were binding, uh, whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven, whatever is bound up on earth is bound up in heaven. And as he gives that authority to them, it's not because they, they took it or they seized it or they somehow got a hold of that Uh, ability on their own, uh, but rather they were given that authority. Authority is given, but power so often is taken. And for every person with a pulse, and every person with a pulse within the church, there's a constant temptation, instead of doing those things that God has given you by his authority for you to do in your Christian callings. Instead, you want to take authority or power that God hasn't given you, in order to uh, take care of those things on your own. Yeah, and I, I
2: think too, when it, you think about the authority versus power, too, another thing that that when you know when Christ sends with the authority that He gives. It's always the authority not to lord over, but the authority to serve. Um, you know, that this is why he gives parents, for example, he gives parents to serve children. Um, he he gives uh pastors to serve congregations, to serve the church, which you know gets to the heart again of what Melanchthon's writing here, that that the the adversaries are, are taking power not to serve, but they want to to lord it over the people and you, you you get that comment there at the end that Melanchthon writes about you know the the tears of the poor, the pitiful complaints of of good people that that they're having this power put upon them not for the sake of serving them but but for the sake of those wielding the power um and then certainly as you, as you mentioned, you know that's a, an inclination of all of our our sinful hearts to reach out and take power um to be over others rather than using the authority that God has given to serve others.
3: Yeah, and along with the the taking of the power, it's also helpful to remember whose authority it is. So even as we are acting as the church and doing what the church is told to do, it is very helpful to me at least to not think of it in terms of my authority the church's authority, or even the pastor's authority. Although there are proper ways to speak of those things, but to think of it as Christ's authority, and then what do I do at his command? And the, my my reasoning for thinking about it in that way is so that I am doing my best to avoid that power grab. Because my the most natural thing for me to do, natural in a sinful <laughs> sense, is is to grab for that power. And so keeping in mind that if I'm going to think about authority and what authority there is, the best thing for me as an individual at least is to remember it's Christ's authority and and it's all his. None of it's actually mine.
1: And as we read this document that's almost 500 years old, it becomes really helpful to read it, not just with an eye toward uh, medieval or uh, early Renaissance Germany, but also to read it with an eye on Christians and church, and Christ's church today, and continue to ask ourselves, how does this continue to be an issue among us? Uh, within the American church, within uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, within each of our congregations, uh, there is a common interaction between uh, pastors and people and people and people uh, that regard this kind of authority and the control that we have. Uh, I think, Mr. Slayton, you mentioned before that we are not, or maybe it was Pastor Apple, uh, that we are not to lord this authority over one another, uh, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, but instead we are to serve each other in love and to be each other's servants, that is counterintuitive to a power grab and this is one of those cases where we can read the confessions and have them have them devotionally affect us and i i don't know how often we talk about that on this show or or really any other place of being able to say wow the way that the apology of the augsburg confession speaks calls me to to repent and turn away from my sin and turn toward our righteous and faithful and merciful god because so often I do want to lord power over other people and not be the servant of all, uh, but here the apology of the Augsburg Confession calls us to repentance and to faith.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a very good point to to see this as a you know one of those devotional sections of the the confessions because it is very easy as, for us to read these you know in the context they were written of of the Lutheran said this in the in the confession, the Catholic said this in the confutation, and now we're responding, and it's kind of like a, a struggle for who's right and who's wrong, and, and we want to prove our point. And, and while certainly the there is great importance to the confession of the truth and doing so clearly, you, you see the heart of the confessions here, that it is a, a very a churchly and pastoral document that is intended to give people what they need, which is the free forgiveness of sins in Christ alone you know the the church is all about as, as Melanchthon saying, s- seeing that the the sacraments are duly administered and that the gospel is is faithfully preached and and that should be our primary concern and what a joy it is for us as pastors and people together you know to be active in in this work that Christ has given us of of uh, preaching and hearing his word, of receiving the sacraments, um, to our great benefit, to receiving um, that free forgiveness of sins in Christ.
1: And I think that that does a really good job of saying what authority the church does have. Kind of to use that example of of stay in your lane, not taking on power that Jesus hasn't given us, but to live within the calling and the authority that we have. And the confession, uh, sorry, the apology of the Augsburg Confession is going to go on talking about that, picking up here at paragraph six. And there it says, Although we have in this article embraced various topics in the Confession, that is the Augsburg Confession, the adversaries do not reply, except to say that the bishops have the power of rule and forceful correction to direct their subjects to the goal of eternal blessedness and that the power of ruling requires the power to judge, to define, to to distinguish, and to fix those things that are serviceable or lead to the results just mentioned. These are the confutations words by which the adversaries teach us that the bishops are authorized to enact laws useful for receiving eternal life. The controversy is about this article. Uh, Mr. Slayton, it sounds like... It sounds like those are a lot of of secular authority words and not necessarily church words,
3: yeah, I was going back to the conversation that that we had a little bit a little bit ago, and our discussion as to how how to apply this with our different scenarios, and that maybe Pastor Apple, with your example, rather than excommunicating that individual, it was pastor ill deciding well, I'm going to give you ten years in prison, and that was his his result, and it's like, wait is is it really for the pastor to pass judgment and sentence in a civil way where the pastor is saying, you're going to jail for 10 years for failure to pay this? And maybe that's a, an additional thing we can add into this as to what this abuse was actually looking like.
1: So what does a pastor or a bishop have the authority to judge? Well, I would say in, in that case, the pastor is
3: perfectly, it should be saying, look, you, you have sinned. You should be paying this debt. You should not be avoiding it. You should not be running from it. Um, it is, you know, it is right for you to do what you can to the best of your ability to pay it. Um, and if you are refusing to do that out of some stubbornness or sinfulness, the pastor can then say, "Well, you know, that's a sin that's going to have to be retained. I can't forgive the sin because you you are not." You, you don't want to be forgiven
1: <laughs> let's put it that way so the pastor right, that, oh go ahead pastor apple i'm sorry well, i was just to
3: say that
2: and that's what that that sort of authority they're talking about there does belong to the pastor to the bishop by divine right that's why god has, has put the pastor there is to speak the word of god into these various situations that that people find themselves mm-hmm. but the but by divine right the pastor the bishop does not have the authority to throw him in jail for that that authority belongs properly to the state. Now, I mean, and this is where things get kind of confusing, especially in our world and especially in Luther's world, too, is because sometimes (laughs) those things overlap. Um, But but properly speaking, it's not the job of the pastor as the pastor to be the one to throw in jail. The pastor's job as the pastor is to speak the word of God, both law and gospel, ultimately for the salvation of souls in Christ.
3: Yeah, and if the pastor does in some way have a civil role where he is supposed to be doing the throwing in jail, we would distinguish that from the office of pastor and say, well, he's holding another office at the same time. And once again, that's kind of weird as Americans to even think about it that way. But we would have to distinguish it and say that's another office at the same time. That is not the office of pastor under which he is acting if he's tossing somebody in jail
1: and at this point i'm going to jump in and use my authority not as pastor but as host of the program (laughs) to take us to a little bit of a break and we will be back talking more about church authority here in just a few minutes
2: Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but
0: you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org.
2: Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning Prayer at 7 a.m. and Evening Prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of Morning Prayer and Evening Prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life.
0: In 1498, Leonardo da Vinci completed one of the most famous paintings in history, The Last Supper. The depiction of the biblical scene was painted on the walls of a dining hall in a monastery in Milan, Italy. Millions visit it each year as the masterpiece brings to life a scene from the Bible in a remarkable way. As described in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 21, and the other three Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth, on the night before his crucifixion, said to his disciples, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Da Vinci captures that moment. Bread and wine on the table, facial
1: expressions of anger, disbelief, and love. Judas, in shadow, recoiling
0: ever so slightly. Debated for centuries is the meaning of the salt spilled at his elbow. The Bible continues to inspire generations of artists. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.
1: Welcome back to Concord Matters, where we are discussing the mind of God and God's word and God's will in our lives, especially today using the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 28, to talk about church authority and authority in general, not that anyone would lord authority over anyone else but rather that they would serve in love and so we have the chance today uh, to be joined with our complement of christ confessing concordians including pastor timothy apple of grace lutheran church in smithville texas and mr peter slayton the social media manager of the lutheran church missouri synod and i get to be here as pastor peter ill of trinity lutheran church in millstott illinois and as we're going through this article on the on church authority, we've been talking about power and authority, and about the church's role of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiving sins, administering the sacraments, judging, repentance, to a point, judging faith, even being able to say that this or that is is in conformity with God's word and with God's will, but not all, but not with the authority to say excommunicate somebody for not fulfilling a business contract or throwing somebody in jail uh... because they wouldn't sell land to someone else or e- abusing authority in that way so i could use a,
3: a little more help untangling this especially as pastor ill and pastor apple you were both talking about reading the confessions devotionally and part of that is how, how does this apply to us today and i'm I'm getting the feeling at least for me as we're trying to untangle the situation in which the reformers found themselves with with this abuse of authority, and comparing it to, or or maybe not comparing, but how this these abuses might also manifest themselves today, and we're really struggling with coming up with, okay with how does this actually work? And as part of reading the confessions devotionally, it's figuring out how does this actually apply to us today? So is. Are there ways in which we see this actually happening to us in our own congregations today? Where the principles in this article show themselves um, today? Because that's as I kept saying as we're doing our example. Well, that doesn't really apply to today because that would never work in America. So it's like, okay, so what good does this article do us then?
1: (laughs) I think that this this is a really good question, and we may we may end up pausing here for a little while, but it might be worth it. From time to time, especially during different election cycles, uh, someone may run for office and perhaps that person is a, a Christian, but holds to a view, say, of being uh, pro-choice and uh, supporting the, uh, the concept and the practice of abortion. And then their pastor or their bishop will come out publicly and uh, say that that person is not welcome to receive the Lord's Supper uh within their church uh and and i've got to be honest, this is something that i I really kind of ponder and and to a point struggle with of if that's a proper use of church authority or if it's not a proper use of church authority yeah and in the sense of the
3: public shaming, perhaps I think that's if if we're going with that particular example, my struggle isn't with the calling sin sin, it's with using your position as pastor. In kind of a public shaming sort of way i don't know it's like you're using it as a stick and publicly i don't know that that's right
2: it's, it's, it's hard it is and and i think I think that's where you know the context of the of the instant communication that we have and and mass communication that we have and sort of the publicity of everything makes it difficult because i I do think that that that's a you know an A spot for pastoral care, you know. I mean, that that what I believe as a Christian does influence the way that I function in in public life, and the things that I, you know, the ways that I love my neighbor um, in my various roles, and and one of those roles that I have sometimes, at least, maybe not me, but that a Christian might have is is their interaction in the political sphere in the government. And so, I, I, I do think it's you know, it's it's a a very applicable way for a pastor to exercise his authority, however, the the public nature of it in some cases um, goes beyond, say, what Jesus talks about when he talks about you know trying to win a brother back, um, and goes more into the element of as he said you know public shaming um, in a way that is is hurting that you know trying to tear that person's reputation down rather than trying to you know save them from unrepentant sin. So yeah, I mean that's hard sometimes, like you said to to how do you, how do you sort through these things? It's it's a good conversation to have.
3: Well, what would we say about the pastor who wants to remain in his call as a pastor and also run for political office, whether it's local, civic, or you know on a more national level? How does this article speak to that? And part of what I'm getting at too is so maybe sometimes we take the confessions and apply them to the wrong setting so that's part of my question here is are we apply would would this article apply to that situation or is that something else entirely and i'm not thinking of anybody specific I, I don't know anybody who's actually doing that which is why i'm picking that example
1: <laughs> but we have seen in in american history different clergy persons take on really important societal roles and Function not so much as the pastor of a congregation, but as a either a cultural or a political uh, person. I'm thinking especially of some of the civil rights uh, time period Mm -hmm. uh, when a good number of civil rights activists were uh, were ordained ministers. Um, You can think also about the 1850s when uh, a good number of ordained folks were also working for the abolition of slavery, for example. Mm -hmm. And I've got to be honest, your question kind of, uh, well, it, it makes me think real hard.
3: <laughs> I'm all about the hard questions today. Let's make everybody's brain hurt.
1: <laughs> but but I think that the, for Christians, this is a really important question. As we grapple with, if a pastor is one whose who's calling and vocation is one to provide the forgiveness of sins, to preach the gospel, uh If he is actively serving as a pastor of a congregation, I think it would be really hard to shift back and forth between being a congregational pastor, uh, serving his people, the gifts of God, and being a secular authority or a civil ruler at the same time. And I don't think it would be wrong for someone who is ordained to take on that role of, of civil government. But I do think that he might need to take a a step away from full-time parish ministry in order to to do that, because I think otherwise it would be really easy to confuse uh, the authority of God's Word and the authority of secular authority, or sometimes what we talk about as the authority of the sword.
2: Yeah, I I, I hesitate to to say too much specifically, because, I mean, that that does get—but I think if we back up to to a few more general principles, I I don't think that either— you know the apology of the Augsburg Confession in this article is intending to silence either the pastor or or a congregation from from its public voice in in calling out to the world. You know, I mean, you think of of John the Baptizer who who called out to you know to everyone to repent and very specifically um, called out against King Herod's adultery. Now, of course, that got him thrown in prison, but he but he did it right. He he still was able to speak to society of his day in a very public way and i i think that is something that um you know that the church retains and i don't think that that either the augsburg confession or the apology is trying to take that away i i do think it's trying to keep it in its its proper place to recognize that 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 is the you know that speaking of the word of god both in the law and the gospel is the proper role of the church to go beyond that you know then to to say well I mean, you know, for example, had 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 John said, "Well, you can't throw me in prison because I'm a, a prophet." Well, that that's not how it works either, right? Um, to Gen- generally exercise-
3: being a prophet is what got you <laughs> thrown in prison is exactly. pretty much a
2: guarantee. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, and so and and notice how John even even as he probably, you know, I don't think he enjoyed getting beheaded, but but he he went there willingly, right, I mean just in the same way as as our Lord, in not bringing the kingdom of this world, you know went to the cross willingly to establish his kingdom um so i you know i'm yeah, I can 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 a pastor serve as a, a mayor? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe more on on point for, you know, and that's that's a real possibility in in like a especially a, a rural town in America where where the pastor may assume some of these roles. Or or what about a, you know, a pastor serving on a school board? Um is is maybe even a little more, you know, uh something that's maybe easier to imagine mm-hmm. because a pastor very well is going to have kids in the in the school, so is he allowed to have a voice? Uh, and on the school board, I mean, I, I think so. Um, but but how he negotiates those two things, how he, um, you know, clearly says, I at this moment, you know, I'm I'm being a pastor right now. I'm preaching God's word for the forgiveness of sins, while at the same time on the school board, you know, being able to to respect the laws that are there, um, and yet still as a Christian being able to to play the John the Baptist role sometimes and and speak out against things that are unjust that he knows are unjust because because he's a Christian you know I mean I think I think he retains that too but he's not doing it because he's the pastor he's doing that simply as a, a faithful Christian living in the state and I, I don't I th- know if that helps but hope I mean hopefully something helped
1: <laughs> I, I think it I think it does and I think that uh, your your comparison to John the Baptist is really helpful because it is the church's place, uh, not just pastors, but the whole church's place, to confess the truth of the Word of God. Most importantly, we confess that life-saving, life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. But there are also times where we simply stand up and say, God's Word and this common sense law that God has written on everyone's heart says certain things, and we're going to speak consistently with God's word and God's law, and we're going to say that there are some things that that no person should do. Um, Be that speaking about governmental corruption, like John the Baptist did, or if it's speaking about how those who have authority should use that authority, also as John the Baptist did as he spoke to soldiers, when the soldiers came and said, well, what about us? How do we repent of our sins? Can we be saved? And John spoke to them. And again and again in Scripture, we see Christ and his apostles and his church, God's prophets in the Old Testament, all speaking this truth of God's will in the world. Not because doing God's will will save you. Only Jesus can do that. But because that is what God has given us to do. And so the church calls for everyone to see God's will, to repent of their sin, and to live according to God's will and God's commands. And that might be a really good place for us kind of to put a bow on that that part of the conversation. Uh, as we get to do that, we always recognize that the church doesn't try to exercise authority over any community or any uh, nation, but rather... The Church is called to confess to say what God says, and to continue to bear witness to Jesus and to god's will in the world and and that's what we 're here to do
3: well, and once again, if we go back to the great commission with this authority what's what's the point of it I think part of, part of the struggle that that i'm having is uh we always want clearly divided. Boxes. I want to separate everything out into a nice, neat little boxes so that I can know here's when something's right, here's when something's wrong, and never the two shall meet kind of thing, and always keep it all nice and tight. Because then I can know what I can do in order to please God. Is kind of how that often ends up working out. But once again, going back to, okay, what's this authority? Whose authority is it? What's it for? Okay, church, this is what you're here for. Do do the things that you're here for, Church. Do the things that you're here for, Pastor. Oh, Christians, you also, all Christians, I think we, we haven't used the terminology yet, but the two kingdoms theology, which is a whole nother thing, but just the recognition that Christians live in a civil society and act in the civil society, and that's going to be different than how the church speaks to Christians in the church. Is that a, i don't know I feel like i 'm kind of rambling here, but there 's well, a difference in these things
2: yeah, and, and I, I think uh, again that what what the what the apology does do for us is it it does help us to keep the main thing as the main thing in the church that that the whole reason that God sent you know the, that Christ sent his apostles out, he sent his his church out is for this proclamation of the forgiveness of sins to make disciples in baptism and in teaching his word to To administer the sacraments, to to do to do those things that he in that authority gave them, and and if the church isn't doing that, then who is? No one. I mean, that's that's the point of of the church in in Christ sending the church was so that these things would be done, because that's not what the state is there to do. And and so you know, are there these times you know where maybe a, a pastor is is confronted with a, a difficulty in okay. I see this need in my community and I, I think I might be the one to full, to fill that need. Can I do that? You know, he can think about those things, but he, he can't think about those things if he's neglecting that, that very purpose for which God called him to the congregation, um, to preach the word, to administer the sacraments, to, to make sure that the people know and, and can trust that, that Christ died for them and rose for them so that they might be freely forgiven. And, and apart from that, the the pastor doesn't have, you know, any real authority. That is what he's there to do. That's gotta be the main focus of of, of what he's doing.
3: I think part of this is the context in which you're saying it. So that I I love how you frame that's what the pastor's authority is. So let's go back to the pastor, maybe not on the school board, but he's attending a school board meeting and he's speaking from the floor. I could envision the pastor very well, speaking God's law. If the school board was considering a resolution or a motion that was that was simply immoral, it was it's not something that should be done. Uh, lots of teaching kids about sexuality is, is a good example there. And the pastor calling the board to repentance and saying this is wrong, this is not how we should be operating. That this is a this is not what we should be doing. I could see that being good and normal. It would be odd. If the school board said, you know what? Wow, you're right. This is a bad idea. And for the pastor to then stand in front of them and say, as a called and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you all your sins. Because that's, that would be odd. I don't, I don't know if I could say that it's wrong for him to do that in that context. But I would it would be better to say, hey, you're right. That is wrong. I'm glad we agree. Now come to church this Sunday and I'm going to forgive you. Because that's that's where that forgiveness is, and that's where, as a called and ordained servant of the word, that's where I'm called to do that forgiving. So we've recognized God's law, we've recognized our transgression against it. Hey, come to church, I want to forgive you of that, because that's what I'm here to do as a
1: pastor. Does that make sense? Is that a good way of looking at it? I think helpful. so, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's actually really in line with paragraph 7 and 8, and I realize we haven't gotten there yet, but maybe this is a good time to do just <laughs> there that. There we go. Uh, Pastor Apple, would you read for us uh, perhaps paragraphs 7 and 8 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 28?
2: Yes. Melanchthon writes, "...we must keep in the church the doctrine that we receive the forgiveness of sins freely for Christ's sake through faith. We must also keep the doctrine that human traditions are useless services." And therefore neither sin nor righteousness should be placed in meat, drink, clothing and like things. Christ wished the use of such things to be left free, since he says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, referencing Matthew 15:11. And Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, referencing Romans 14:17. Therefore, the bishops have no right to enact traditions in addition to the gospel. So that people must merit forgive the forgiveness of sins, or that they think, or that they think, are services that God approves as righteousness, they must not burden consciences, as though it were a sin to leave such observances undone. All this is taught by that one passage in Acts fifteen nine, where the apostles Peter say that hearts are cleansed through faith. Then they prohibit the imposing of a yoke, and show how great a danger this is and multiply the sin of those who burden the church. Why do you tempt God, they say? Our adversaries are not terrified even by this thunderbolt. They defend traditions and godless opinions with violence.
1: I think that from this reading, it it refers back to our question in terms of the bishops were imposing and putting a yoke upon people by human traditions and perhaps... uh, to stay with Mr. Slayton's example, going to the local public meeting and saying things and saying, we all know that God would not permit for or God would not allow uh, this or that kind of a thing to be done in the meeting when God's word isn't clear on that and that they would claim God's word as, well, a club or a tool in order to... uh, get people to do what they wanted done instead of simply letting God's word speak and letting God's word bring people through their Christian callings and vocations into uh proper alignment with God's word. And I think it's also good to remember again, that the reason
3: the adversaries were doing many of these things were in order to preserve their own wealth or their own power. So if we're using the school board, Example, It's that uh, community organizer person who's the boss of the neighborhood who's wanting the school board to make particular decisions that help him retain his own influence and uh, power over the community. And he's saying, thus saith the Lord to those things. Even if the Lord
1: doesn't say.
3: Well, especially if the Lord doesn't say. I think that's the main point here is like, look, God is silent on this. Stop putting words in his mouth. Yeah. Right, and I, I think I think here the apology does
2: shift a little bit. Rather than thinking so much of pastors out exercising authority um, in the public sphere or, or in the state, now I, I think the the question comes back to more: okay, pastors, how are you going to exercise this authority within the church? And and here the the key is to again to stay in your lane. You know, so don't enact traditions in addition to the gospel that people think they have to do in order to earn the forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, so to use the example of, of Lent, don't don't make fasting a requirement that is going to earn you the forgiveness of sins. Fasting can be fine outward training, right, as we learn in the Catechism. But to say that that's what merits righteousness before God, that's where the bishop has abused his authority now. Um, he's He's enacted something in addition to the gospel saying that that's meriting the forgiveness of sins. Again, losing that focus on, on what Melanchthon said there at the very beginning of paragraph seven, that we have to keep in the church, this doctrine that we receive the forgiveness of sins freely for Christ's sake through faith. Um, and, and so, you know, that authority can also be abused within the church when we add to it things that God has not commanded nor forbidden.
3: Like here in St. Louis, fish fries are huge during lunch. Like it's uh, having moved down here, I didn't realize like how big a thing it was. So, Having only fish, you know, not eating meat, red meat on Fridays can be a very good, excellent, healthy reminder during Lent of, you know, what this is all about. But then requiring it or going so far as to say, hey, if you do this, God will like you better. You will be forgiven. No, that's, that's too far. Now you've taken that human tradition that can be helpful and good and turned it into something
1: it is not. Even thinking at a, at kind of a more local level, even than that, uh, tonight I get to go to a church council meeting, and every once in a while, folks will look at me and they'll say, "Pastor, what do you think?" and and I get to use one of my very favorite lines: "I'm just the pastor here. I don't have an opinion that counts on this." Uh, and and oftentimes my my carpet is not my bailiwick, uh, right? Yeah. Right. But folks will look at me and say, "But but you are the pastor here. Of course your opinion matters." And I say. My opinion over, uh, you know, rebuilding our Easter tomb that we put out in uh, on the, on the side of the highway to point out that Christ has risen from the dead. It doesn't matter to me if it's twelve feet or eight feet. It, make a good <laughs> decision, guys. Uh, because that's not under my authority, making sure that the services in God's house happen decently and in good order and that in all things the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, that the sick and the infirm are visited, and that uh, everybody has a chance to receive Jesus' body and blood, and that uh, those who aren't coming to church and hearing God's word have that invitation and are uh, called, called to come back and are called to repentance— that is what I'm called to do. But other than that, I'm just the pastor here.
3: <laughs> Pas- With- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I was asked if Pastor Apple had any final thoughts. I think we're coming up on the end here.
2: No, I-, I think, and that's that's a good way of, of putting, you know, what what does it mean to be the pastor here? It, it means to be the one to proclaim the gospel, to to tell people that wonderful news that Christ died for them, Christ Christ rose for them, and that he alone is their Savior. And and then any other things that the pastor, you know, may get to do, and it, it, it's probably a joy for him, that's not necessarily his, his rightful authority. Um, his, his rightful God-given authority is to speak that joyous word. And, and what a joy it, it really is to do so.
1: And so we keep confessing, and as we keep confessing the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead, our authority comes from him, authority for baptizing and teaching and making disciples. And so as we go and do that together, keep confessing, church.